You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Corbett Report podcast. Once again, I am your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. It is the fourth day of February, 2013. Welcome all to the program. This is another edition of Questions for Corbett. So for those of you who missed the first episode of this podcast series, An Arrow Through the Brain, I will provide the link in the show notes for today's episode so you can go back and watch that episode as well. And basically, for those who have missed that, the long and short of it is that this is a series where I'm going to take questions from you, the listeners and viewers out there, and do my best to provide some answers. And on that note, of course, there are many different ways to contact me. Of course, you can always contact me through the contact form on CorbettReport.com with, once again, the proviso that I can't get back to everyone because I get so much mail on such a regular basis. But I do uh, keep everything that comes in, and I take a look at everything that comes in, so I do appreciate all that input. And I will do my best to answer as many questions uh, of yours as I can in this regular podcast update series. You can also tweet your questions at Corbett Report. You can leave your questions in the comment section of this video on YouTube, or I will also leave the video response uh, open on YouTube, so you can post a video response if you want to record yourself uh, asking a question for the next uh, video. And on that note, the last time I was asking whether or not this should be a video or an audio series, I had exactly two votes for video and one vote for audio. So most people, it seems, don't care, and the people who do care want both. Uh, So in the interest of making everybody happy all the time, why not? This uh, video will be available as an audio. This audio will be available as a video. So if you're listening to me right now, you can watch if you so desire, and if you're watching, you can listen if you so desire. And uh, the links to both will be in the note show notes. So either, no matter how you're getting this, if you take a look at the show notes, you should be able to find your way to the other version. And, uh, well, apropos to that, why don't we dig straight into the questions? I want to, uh, to get through as many as I can today. I apologize. I will not get to everyone's questions today, but I'm going to do my best to get through as many as we can. Uh, The first question actually comes from Twitter. It uh, comes from at Zachary Public, who tweeted me, is there an audio-only version of your podcast? Well, that is very apropos, isn't it? That's exactly what we're talking about. And uh, this is a great teachable moment for those of you who are watching on YouTube. For those who are listening, well, you can can just grin and bear it while we go through this. But yes, yes, absolutely. There is audio versions of my podcast. And uh, generally, they will be linked up in the show notes that are always linked up in the uh, description. If you're watching this on YouTube, the description box right underneath this video. So that's the first place to look. But if you want to subscribe to the podcast feed so that you get it delivered directly to your iTunes or whatever podcast you use, well, that might be a good idea too. And of course, that's completely free. It's very easy to do. If you've never subscribed to an RSS feed before, why don't we go on the desktop and I'll show you exactly how to do it. Welcome to my desktop. Okay, here we are. And if you have never seen CorbettReport.com, this might be a good chance to explore it. So just type CorbettReport.com into your browser's URL bar and here you are. And so, uh, of course, we have all of the different links. You can see the about page. You can see about the podcast, the radio interviews, the videos, articles, etc., etc. All of that's up there. You can see the latest uh, videos and articles and whatever it's been posted here. Of course, you also have this uh, that you can scroll through the different uh, most recent posts. 
But let's take a look over here. Um, if you have iTunes and are interested in subscribing to the podcast specifically, that is not the interviews, not the videos, not the articles, not anything else, just the podcast, then just click on that link. It'll ask you to open up iTunes and it'll subscribe you to that podcast right there. Uh, alternatively, you can use the RSS link here and depending what browser you're using and what version and all of those idiosyncrasies, you'll see something like this. And at any rate, I get this asking me to subscribe in iTunes, probably the easiest way to do it. So again, you can just subscribe there. But again, that's just for the podcast specifically. Uh, there's an RSS feed up here. That's for everything. That's for all of the podcasts, interviews, videos, articles, everything that gets posted will go into this uh, feed here. So you can subscribe using live bookmarks as we saw last time, or you can subscribe using iTunes. You can subscribe in whatever podcatcher you use. Or uh, if you want even more options, just click on the subscribe link. And over here, you've got, uh, you can subscribe to the podcast specifically. You can subscribe to the radio show. Well, that doesn't exist anymore and that's been discontinued, but you can still get all of that in a podcast feed. Uh, all of those old episodes, you can get the videos, the interviews, the articles, all of them separately. So you can sub sub subscribe to whatever you want or what leave out whatever you don't want. So that's uh, how you can subscribe. And once again, it should just be a question of clicking on the RSS and then the browser that you're using. Hopefully, if it's a good uh, version of a good browser, it will ask actually uh, direct you to subscribe using iTunes or what have you. Um, there's a way to directly subscribe in iTunes if you uh, need to. And if uh, if you do, well, then again, ask me and then maybe I'll go over it in the next uh, episode of Questions for Corbett. But for now, that is it. And of course, all of those uh, RSS feeds, if you're new to RSS, it is completely free to do so. And you will get all of the podcast audio or videos or interviews or whatever it is you subscribe to delivered directly to your iTunes or podcatcher of choice automatically. So, And of course, that is completely 100% free. So that's the best way to do it. All right, at Zachary Public, thank you very much for that question, and I hope that helps other people as well to find the audio versions of these podcasts. And on that note, let's move straight along. We're going to go to a video that was sent in by our good friend Brock West of APPerspective.net, and uh, he had a video question that he sent in for this uh, Questions for Corbett episode. James, in, uh, in light of the recent Alex Jones-Piers Morgan interview... What's your opinion on the way that the alternative media needs to reassess the way it delivers its message? Uh, it's, is the any press is good press still a viable strategy? Excellent question, Brock. Thank you very much for that. Once again, people can check Brock out at apperspective.net and part of our regular new series, the Asia-Pacific Perspective, right here on Corbett Report. But... To answer the question, well, I guess my first response would be to say that as that debate uh, actually happened, I tweeted out that it was the best 15 minutes in the history of CNN, and I did not tweet that out ironically. I truly believe that was the most, at the very least, entertaining 15 minutes of television on, in CNN's history, and I, I, I certainly realize it probably didn't do much to change many people's minds on this issue. But uh, but uh, again, I think that the the enormous backlash against that interview is, to a certain extent, its uh, strength and to its credit. 
Uh, I, I do realize that there are a lot of people who do not like that style of delivery and will be turned off by it, but I don't think that that's a reason for anyone out there who does enjoy that delivery or anyone out there who has that delivery of their, the information to stop doing what they're doing. Far be it from me or anyone else to come along and tell people how they should or should not be presenting this information. Oh, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't present it that way. I say don't wait for orders from headquarters. Don't listen to what other people have to say. Use whatever you have within you. If you are out there giving this information out, then do it in the way that comes naturally to you. Everyone out there has different strengths and weaknesses, different skills, different ways of interpreting information, different ways of putting it across. And rather than having some centralized committee trying to tell people how the alternative media should or shouldn't say things or, or oh, you can't put it that way or, oh, don't, don't, don't uh, tr try to follow that method of putting information out there. I think there should be just a, a decentralized, independent movement of independent people putting things out in their own way. And just as there are people who are turned off by emotional styles of delivery, there are people who are turned on by it. And there are people who would never otherwise be interested in, in even taking a look at this information who will be interested in it because of an entertaining style of delivery. Clearly, that's not me. That's not the way I deliver the information. I've got a very different style, but I don't think my style is superior to anyone else's or inferior to anyone else's. It is simply my style, and some people will resonate with that, others won't. I have no problem with that whatsoever. So again, I don't think that there should be a centralized uh, committee deciding what, what can or cannot be said in the alternative media. Absolutely not. This is a decentralized movement of independent people putting forward things in their own way. So let's do exactly that. But on that note, uh, we have a somewhat related or uh, kind of related question. Uh, this one comes in from via email from Stuart C. And he writes, how would one get started in picking up the task of providing information to the public? In the internet age, this might seem a silly question. However, I believe if you want to do something, then find someone who has done it successfully and follow that model. Any info you could provide would be great. Thank you for the question, Stuart. And I think you answered your own question because I agree completely. If uh, in this internet age, if you find a model that seems to work and that resonates with you and that you think you would be good at uh, following, then follow it. And uh, to a certain extent, perhaps that's what I did. I think I've added my own style and my own delivery and my own nuances and my own take on things. But that comes from years and years of practice and just putting your voice out there. I think the most helpful inf in, uh, advice I can possibly give for those who are looking to get in involved in this information is simply to do it. Don't question yourself. Don't think about it. Don't try to have every niggly little detail perfect because that's just excuses to not basically take action. Uh, I think you have to get out there. You have to do it first and then, and then worry about uh, every last detail afterwards because uh, once again, I think that no one's going to start and come out of the gates being perfect at all of this. I'm certainly not, and I don't claim to be on a high horse uh, doing that. I've learned so much over the years that I've been doing this that I shudder to go back and listen to my early efforts, but we all need those early efforts to at least uh, be those baby steps towards getting us into the into the uh, uh, game, getting us into doing this. And, and I think that's the most important part because, again, we can overanalyze things and we can stress over the delivery, etc. Um, on the technical note, if people are interested in technically how the Corbett Report is put together or how to actually start putting together a, a podcast or doing interviews or that type of thing, I will direct you to episode 149 of Corbett Report Radio called How to Create the Corbett Report, where we laid out in great detail exactly what equipment I'm using, the software, 
uh, all of those technical questions. But uh, but if if you want to get into website, internet, podcasting, broadcasting, video, anything like that, then uh, I would suggest starting there to, to find out how to do it and then simply do it. Of course, that doesn't mean it has to be internet activism. I think that obviously actual real in your community talking to human being activism can be uh, just as effective. In fact, maybe even more so because you actually are uh, providing social proof of the fact that uh, this is not some fringe minority. There are actually real people who actually really do have these views and that can be even more effective than information provided over the internet. So again, there's as many different ways to put this out as there are people on this planet. I just hope that each and every one of you out there will use whatever talents, abilities, skills, and resources that you may have to help spread the information you think is important in your own way. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Frankie R. writes, What is your opinion on the Canadian government playing into the hands of the Zionist lobby as their new lapdog? Canada has recently kicked out the Iranian envoy and also declared Iran to be a terrorist nation. End quote. Uh, Frankie, unfortunately, you're exactly right. There has been an absolutely concerted effort throughout the uh, the Harper regime, and it continues to be so, to support uh, Israel as every bit as much as... Uh, as, well, either of the parties in the United States, but uh, specifically, of course, the Republicans and uh, the uh, brouhaha over someone like Hegel declaring that he's not an Israeli senator, that kind of thing. Unfortunately, that's being echoed quite obviously in the uh, Harper administration in, in Canada, in the Harper government. So uh, it, it's been apparent ever since, uh, at the very least, for example, what the debacle in Libya and and supporting the Libyan opposition before uh, before many other countries did, actually. Canada was very fast out of the gates in that. And this exact similar things we see with Syria. We see the uh, the Iranian bizarreness of, of withdrawing the Iranian envoy, all of that. It's, uh, it, there, there is no doubt that there is a concerted uh, Zionist lobby effort. And, and unfortunately, the, uh, the Israeli uh, polit- political machine operates absolutely as effectively in Canada as it does in the United States and many other countries around the world. So I think that the people, once again, have to be the voice of opposition to that to that war mandate, basically, and we have to speak out of th- uh, against things like the uh, the Israeli incursion into Syria. And on that note, I would uh, direct people to Land Destroyer Report, which I think broke it down excellently in a recent uh, article that they had, um, where they uh, basically he was talking about uh, how the Israeli attack was the ultimate hypocrisy, because of course, if anyone had done that uh, against Israel or one of its allies, it would be decried as a terrorist nation, etc. Can you imagine if Syria had flown into Turkey and uh, started taking out some of the bases that are actually admittedly on the record training and funding and equipping some of the uh, the foreign jihadists that are being smuggled into Syria to destabilize that country? They would be terrorists. But of course, if Israel goes in and strikes uh, something in Syria, then it's just totally self-defense. It's And uh, the US and Canada will be right there to support them. So again, that's the status quo, and we have to fight against that. Uh, moving along, we have an, uh, another email in from Devin R. He writes, I noticed you had Peter Lance's Triple Cross on the table in the last video. I haven't read that book, but I'm under the impression that the gist is that Ali Muhammad and other terrorists, example Ramzi Youssef, uh, supposedly outsmarted their handlers and other alphabet soup agencies. Am I correct in my assumption? And I'm curious what you take away from his research. 
Well, thank you for the question, Devin. You're exactly right, and you're eagle-eyed. Uh, back in the last Questions for Corbett episode, I played a video where this was sitting on the table. It was just sitting there, but he did notice this book. It's Triple Cross by Peter Lance. And as you will see, I have not actually read the whole book yet. I'm still working my way through it, and honestly, I don't get a lot of time to read physical books anymore. So unfortunately, it's taking a lot longer than I expected. But you're exactly right in that gist of, uh, of what... Peter Lance is, is trying to get at that, oh, somehow or other, just because of the incompetence of these silly agencies and their, the silly games they play trying to, uh, to get these, these uh, agents to, on their side, somehow or other, this man managed to become a triple agent for, the, uh, for, for Osama bin Laden, um, penetrating, penetrating the CIA and the Green Berets and the FBI while working for Al-Qaeda. Um, it's just the most ridiculous story on its face. And for people who are more interested in that story and an alternative take on it than the conclusions that Peter Lance comes to, by all means, look at Peter Lance's work, read the book, and uh, look at his uh, interviews, uh, and you can see for yourself. I mean, he's certainly done a lot of research, and he can put a lot of names and dates and places and facts and figures on the table, and it is valuable for that reason, but I think his conclusions about what this all means and how the puzzle pieces fit together are highly suspect. So for some more, uh, I think, nuanced and, and interesting takes on this, I would suggest uh, one of my previous conversations with Tom Secker, where we talked specifically about uh, Ali Mohammed and some of the other triple agents in this shadowy world of al-Qaeda terrorists, and uh, Tom Secker's take, I think, much more interesting than Peter Lance's uh, ultimate conclusion there in Triple Cross. But again, it is, it is chock full of information, facts, figures, dates, and all sorts of useful data, so it is good for that, verifiable data, but it uh, certainly... It's all, all the devil is in the details of the conclusions that he comes to, and I don't think that it's reasonable to suspect that Ali Mohammed, who, oh by the way, as revealed by Peter Lance to his credit, is uh, it, we still don't exactly know where he is or what's happening with him. Uh, no one's really heard of him for several years now. Uh, uh, we still still not sure if he's really been sentenced yet. Uh, it's just ridiculousness like that. So. Again, some good research in there and some good uh, data, but I would be careful about the conclusions that it draws. Uh, let's move on to another email, this one from Johnny. He writes, I'd like to visit Japan, but the thought of being treated like a criminal and fingerprinted upon entering the country prevents me from doing so. Biometrics is expanding across the globe. What are your thoughts on combating its spread? Excellent question. Extremely important question. This is one of the most important questions that we can be devoting ourselves to right now because it goes to the heart of the issue. For those who don't know, yes, every time a foreigner enters Japan, i.e. anyone who isn't a Japanese citizen, you will have to go through a line and eventually uh, after you go through the line, you'll put your fingers on the little pad and you'll get your photograph taken, basically exactly a mirror image of the U.S. visit system. Um, so if you've seen that process, you know exactly what it is. It's biometric details being taken in an effort to catch terrorists, etc. And uh, it's absolutely ridiculous in this day and age, especially in Japan. I think it's it's 
particularly ridiculous, but it is what foreigners have to go through, including myself. Every time I leave, every time I come back in, I have to go through that process. And it is absolutely the most, uh, the greatest human indignity, I think, that uh, that someone can foist on a completely and totally criminal-free background. It doesn't matter. You are treated like a criminal. And of course, this is part of biometrics. It is part of a larger agenda. It is part of getting us used to the idea of having our fingerprints scanned and our biometric details taken by the authorities upon their command. The authorities upon their command. So uh, I, I think this is an unfortunately a key part of the uh, the just the getting us used to the police state control grid. And really, ultimately, I think, Johnny, what you are saying there, that you don't want to come to Japan if they do that, I think that is the answer at the end of the day. Uh, being married to a Japanese uh, woman and having my Japanese side of my family, my new family here, my extended family, being in Japan and uh, living here now, I, I unfortunately have already made the decision to commit to being in Japan so that... I do go through that process, and I am now part of that system. Um, but I do say that if you do have qualms over this system, that you should boycott it entirely. You should not come to a country that's going to force you to take give your biometric details. Um, I'm certainly not going to the U.S. anytime in the foreseeable future. Um, I, I'm not going to go through that process, and I don't want anything to do with uh, becoming part of that D TSA, DHS, uh, biometric enslavement grid. So, uh, again, I do think that ultimately the only answer that is possible is that we have to boycott this uh, system, and in every way possible. And unfortunately, as people might have seen, the iPhone 6 plans have been leaked, where apparently there's going to be fingerprint identification for logging into your iPhone now. Uh, surprise, surprise. Well, Apple has been working on patents for fingerprint scanning for a while now, so of course they're going to start putting it into their, their little slave control boxes. And every time we buy one of those little slave items and buy into the system or voluntarily go to a country that's going to collect our biometric details, we are choosing to become part of that biometric grid. So the only possible answer is for us to choose not to do it. And, uh, it, and then it becomes a point where they have to institute the total police state and lockdown and clampdown to try to force you to give them your biometrics, etc. And that's a different story altogether. But I think if we go into it willingly, then we are unfortunately part of the problem. So it's there's no easy answer to it. Unfortunately, we have to start standing up and saying no to this, and uh, that's the only that's the only answer that's possible. And I don't know if it's going to be a solution. I don't know if it's going to solve the problem, but it is the only answer that I think is viable and on the table for us. Uh, let's move along to the next question from Kathleen M, who writes: Do you think the COPA conference in Dallas 2013 for the 50th anniversary of JFK's assassination will be exciting? <laughs> Well, thank you for the question, Kathleen. That's an interesting way of putting it. Exciting? Uh, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Uh, let's just take a look at the uh, the website JFK Countercoup 2, which has a post up about the COPA Dallas 2013 conference. And some of the speakers there are going to be Dr. Cyril Wecht, uh, Walt Brown, Robert Groden, David Talbot, Dick Russell, Russ Baker, John Mellon, Cynthia McKinney, Bill Kelly, Andrew Keel, Chris Pike, Stan Weber. Lots of people are going to be speaking there. I, I'm, I'm sure it'll be fascinating for people who are interested in the JFK uh, community and their research. And there will probably be people to agree and vehemently disagree with, depending on whatever side of whatever partisan issues in the JFK case you might happen to fall on. So in that sense, I mean, I'm sure there will be something of interest for people who are interested in JFK. Um, and I will probably try to have someone on from COPA to talk about this. If they want to come on and promote it, I'd be happy to talk to them about it. But uh, at the end of the day, I'm 
somewhat cynical about the conferences that are held uh, of this nature to to a certain extent, because at, at the end of the day, there will be at best a few hundred people there, and uh, and that is smaller than a magnitude of 10 or whatever it is of the people who are listening to the, my voice or watching this right now. So so again, I think there's a tendency to overblow in people's minds uh, how far this information can reach if we have a conference. And trust me, I, I, I do not think there's any way, shape or form that the mainstream, the mainstream will ever pay any attention to this or give it any more credence than they have any of the other research that's come out on JFK for the past 50 years. So I'm not waiting for any kind of breakthrough at this conference. But having said that, certainly there will be a lot of momentum, a lot of media attention around the 50th anniversary of the assassination. So that is a time for people out there to strike in the info war to actually get some information out there about uh, about the JFK assassination. And I'm certainly going to be planning for some material to come out in November uh, to take advantage of that 50th anniversary momentum that's out there. So I suggest other people do that as well. And sure, why not? I mean, the conference might be an interesting thing to go to. And if somebody wants to go to the conference and report on it for Corbett Report, I'd be happy to have them on to talk about it. Um, let's move along to Chef Jimmy, who uh, has a YouTube comment. James, you mentioned that you think the NRA is a corrupt organization. Would you care to embellish or perhaps provide some reasoning behind your statement? Uh, thank you very much for the comment. I, uh, I, I appreciate people asking for more clarification when I make a blanket statement, as I sometimes do in the course of talking. So uh, absolutely. Uh, let me preface this by saying I don't have a single dog in this fight. I'm not American. I'm not a gun owner. I don't belong to any NRA or GOA or any organization like that. But I do go on based, based on what I've heard from a lot of gun activists in the United States. And perhaps I'll bring this up with Jack Blood next time I talk to him. I know he had a confrontational interview with Rachel Parsons of the NRA uh, several years ago about the, the, law, uh, the assault weapons um, uh, ban extension. Um, but that is apparently no longer available on Google Video. I think they've scrubbed it or whatever. So I'll, I'll talk to him about that. But in the meantime, uh, there's lots of links out there for people who are interested in the controversy. And I'll just say that as a, it's a controversy. Some NRA members are, of course, perfectly happy with the NRA. Some are violently opposed to what they, the way they portray their opposition to uh, in cur curtailments of the Second Amendment. And some examples of some of the people who have some gripes with the NRA would be uh, something like keepandbeararms.com. They have um, a gripes uh, list that goes back to the early part of the last decade. So from about 2000 to 2004, they have a, a dozen or more articles there about the different aspects of the NRA as controlled opposition. Um, there's a, a link I'll put into Arizona Outdoorsman, um, azod.com who has a, uh, had a write-up about H.R. 2640, the NICS Improvement Act, which the NRA was uh, complicit in, and some of the reasons to ask whose side is the NRA on anyway. Um, I'll also put a link into the Gun Owners of America, who, um, for what it's worth, Ron Paul called the only no-compromise gun lobby in Washington. And uh, they, for example, have a recent piece just up from last week or a couple weeks ago, Brits ban guns at America's largest gun show, talking about the Eastern Sports and Outdoor Show, which is the, Ameri uh, the largest American outdoor show. Uh, Reed Exhibitions, the British company promoting and organizing the event, said in a statement, this year we have made the decision not to include certain products that in the current climate may attract negative attention, blah, blah, blah. So absolutely, they're not going to be uh, talking about... Um, black rifle or high capacity magazines or 
that type of thing. Um, and the NRA, uh, as the GOA points out, maintained its usual sit-on-the-fence attitude, saying it strongly disagrees with Reed Exhibition's decision to, to ban modern sporting rifles, but uh, they're going to continue to be a part of the expo. And interestingly enough, as the GOA notes, the NRA has actually pulled that statement from their website. So whatever that means. But there are, suffice it to say, a lot of people who have a lot of questions about the NRA and whether it's really there as opposition or controlled opposition. And once again, I don't have a dog in the fight and uh, I'm not going to, to direct you to come to any conclusion. I'm just going to say that there are a lot of sources out there on that topic if you're interested in exploring it in greater detail. Let's move along to David B., who writes, I was looking for an actual U.S. government.mil or .gov website link that has the case study relating the blast effects test to the events of April 19, 1995, Alfred P. Murrah built Federal Building, Oklahoma City. Uh, the test results from Armament Directorate Wright Laboratory, Elgin Air Force Base. Uh, so basically, for people who don't know, the the right armament, the armament director of the right laboratory, the Elgin Air Force Base, did their own research that was published in January 1997 into the blast at the uh, the Murrah Building, the OKC bombing in 1995, and it came to the conclusion that was uh, the same conclusion that Brigadier General ben, uh, Benton Pardon came to, which is that it could not have been a single ANFO bomb that caused the damage that we saw at the OKC building. So uh, David B. is asking for a .mil or .gov link to this study. I don't know if one exists. I'm not sure this study has ever been published online in that sense by the, by the government itself. But the link to the study is available. And I will put a link, for example, to 9-11 Blogger, which posted the study in 2008 saying, this case study has been cited many times on the internet, but I was unable to find a copy for reference purposes. Here is the basic study minus the two appendices, which take up over half the report. In short, this study supports the conclusion of Brigadier General Benton K. Pardon, who submitted his report to Congress in the summer of 95, where it fell upon deaf ears. Researchers interested in seeing the complete report with the appendices should order a copy from American Opinion Book Services, and it has a number there. So once again, you can go and actually order the physical, real copy of the study, if that's what you're interested in finding. As for a .mil or .gov uh, link to that study, I don't think one exists. If there is one, by all means, if, if you know of it, uh, send it in, and I will be happy to let other people know about that. And uh, finally today, uh, we are running out of time, so let's just do one final uh, question. We have... Thumminxy on YouTube, who writes, Corbett had a beard? WTF? Oh, yes, Corbett had a beard. Um, for people who are interested, and if you are watching, if you are listening to this on the podcast feed, well, you might want to go over the video, but yes, Corbett had a beard. Uh, that is, who is that handsome young devil? That was the Corbett of old, so <laughs> several years ago. You can see the difference. Yes, Corbett had a beard. So, um, that is going to do it for today's episode, Questions for Corbett. Once again, we didn't get to everyone, but uh, I'm trying to keep these to about half an hour or so. So we'll leave it there for today. Once again, I do appreciate all your questions and comments, and we will try to do these Questions for Corbett episodes every time they come in. Um, and that's it for today. So once again, thank you all for tuning in, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again real soon.